Well, good afternoon, and thank you so much for each of you who are here uh, this afternoon. And uh, yeah, I'll pull this off so you can hear me a little bit better. Um, but uh, I've gotten to meet several of you, and sorry I won't remember everybody's names, but um, get to, to know more of you over uh, later today and then tomorrow as well. Uh, but thanks so much for having us in, Pastor. Thank you, each of you, for being friendly and uh, providing the food and stuff. That's been great. I really enjoyed it. And playing with, you mentioned, you know, chasing Bennett around. Thank you so many of you who have been uh, playing with him and pitching in to help us out when our hands are full, and uh, we really do appreciate it. And Bennett loves it. Um, you know, we go to a new church every week, or uh, even a couple of churches each week, and a lot of times when we first get to a church, um, Bennett's kind of a little bit wary, and he's a little bit shy for a little bit, and it doesn't take too long. And he's making friends, and um, it's fun to see him running around, whether it's uh, with adults or with the kids, and just having a blast. And uh, he hates saying goodbye, and so when we, when we do head out tomorrow, he may refuse to say goodbye, but that's because he doesn't want to leave. So, uh, but uh, we're so grateful for um, opportunities to be with like-minded believers all across the country, and we're so grateful for this opportunity today. Um, sometimes when you're traveling, you know, it, there are difficult times, and um, it's always an encouragement uh, to be with God's people, to be with people who love missions, to be with people who simply love the Lord. And uh, it's an encouragement to us along the way. And so thank you. Stay faithful to him. Um, but this uh, afternoon, we are going to open up our Bibles. Uh, we'll be in the book of Acts, and we'll start in Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. When Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, and uh, he'd already given the Great Commission, there have been a couple of times where he had told his disciples uh, to go to the ends of the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, uh, to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that was his heartbeat, not just for the 12 disciples that we could list by name in scripture, but that was true for disciples 2,000 years later, like you and like me. That great commission still needs to be fulfilled, and God wants us to have a part in that. Well, in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the, the, this history of the early church, um, you actually see uh, a bunch of disciples gathered together, and it's not just 12 disciples. In fact, there were 120 gathered together in one room, in the upper room, in Acts chapter 1, right before Pentecost. Then they go out, and at Pentecost, you see thousands of people coming to Christ, and just a great moving of the Lord um, there in Israel um, as the gospel went forth. And over time, that trickled out to much of the Mediterranean world and down in Ethiopia and, and ultimately across Asia and Europe, and eventually, you know, to us, wherever we were when, God, when, when the gospel was shared with us. But there are still corners of the world all across the globe that still need to be reached with the gospel message. And that's going to be the focus of our message this morning as we look at Acts chapter number 10 and we're moving beyond just the Jewish people of Israel. We're moving on to the nations, to the Gentiles, to, to just the different people groups really fulfilling, working on fulfilling the Great Commission. So if you would with me this morning, if you're able to stand and we will read a few verses, then I'll have you seated and we'll continue to read more of this chapter uh, throughout the message, but at this time, let's read from Acts chapter number 10, and we'll read starting in verse number 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter number 10, in verse number 1, the Bible says this, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, 
a centurion of the band. Let me just pause there and explain what that is a little bit. You may be familiar with the term centurion, a, a Roman centurion, but this is a Roman military man with uh, usually about 100, maybe down to 60, but usually between 60 and 100 men underneath his, his control in the military. He's part of the band or cohort uh, called the Italian band. And then he is described, this Cornelius, this Roman soldier is described, and he's not described as a gambler for the clothing of Jesus. He's not described as many of the different characteristics you might expect of a Roman soldier during that time, um, many of them known for their wicked deeds throughout that time. Instead, in verse number two, this Roman officer is called a devout man. And then the Bible says that he was one that feared God, and it wasn't just him, but with all his house. That's his family. That's his servants. That would include some of his military men, as we'll see later on in this chapter. So we continue in verse number two. He's one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. These are good descriptions of this man. Verse number three, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day. This would be about three o'clock in the afternoon. An angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. This is Simon Peter, the apostle. He lodgeth with one Simon, another Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. We're thankful for this, this week and this mission's focus and uh, focusing on, on what we can do in your mission. And Lord, I pray that you would work on each and every one of our hearts and help us to be wholly committed to your will and to accomplishing the Great Commission. And may you use each and every one of us and give us opportunity to be a part. Lord, we sure do love you. I pray that you'd bless this message and help us to be faithful to your word and work in each of our hearts and ultimately help us to be better disciples of your son because of our time here this weekend. We sure do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at Acts chapter number 10, and we, we bring up this, this character, Cornelius. Cornelius is not a major figure appearing in large portions of Scripture in the New Testament. But he comes at a very important time in the history of the church, in the history of Christianity. You see, here in these early chapters of the book of Acts, really, what we often call the church age has just begun. And the word of God is spreading throughout this area, but what we see in the early chapters of Acts is that it's spreading pretty much only among the Jews. And this is good, and you know, it's going out to the people who are waiting for their Messiah, but the Great Commission extended not just to the Jews, but to all humanity with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost, uh, you see that Pentecost resulted 
in many new disciples beyond the 12, beyond the 120, to thousands that turned to Jesus Christ and gave their lives to him. And the apostles at this point are traveling throughout this area with the message of salvation. Many have turned to Christ, and in response to that, persecution has even arisen uh, throughout uh, Judea. But only a small part of Christ's work, only a small part of his mission has actually been started. There's a whole lot more that needs to be done. Let me put it this way. The gospel must reach across new frontiers for the work of the commission. You see, there are other frontiers that must be crossed, other barriers that must be passed to bring the gospel to every creature. But what will convince us to get involved in new frontiers for the gospel's sake? What will convince us to get involved in reaching beyond um, for, for, for Christ? See, here in this chapter of the church and, and God's mission uh, with the gospel going forward, it doesn't start in Acts chapter number 10. Here, the main character in Acts chapter number 10 is actually the apostle Simon Peter, the main human character. And Peter has been traveling throughout the Mediterranean world, and his own ministry has included miracles as God kind of puts his public stamp of approval on this apostle. But now there's a new frontier that Peter must cross with the gospel as an example to the disciples of the early church. What we see in this passage as he crosses this new frontier are three characters. Three characters that all have their role in the gospel crossing new frontiers. That first character we've already read about in verses 1 through 8 is the seeker. The first character in the gospel crossing new frontiers from Acts chapter number 10 is the seeker. And let me just tell you this, this afternoon, people are seeking the truth. There are people looking for the truth. Now, by and large, people are looking after themselves and we, we get caught up in our selfishness and, and we are uh, destitute and in need of a savior. But there are people who are searching for the truth. Cornelius and some of those around him, including some of his, at least one of his soldiers and all of those in his household, were just such people seeking for the truth. You hear in Acts chapter number 10, Cornelius is described as devout. He's a godly man. He's just, he's faithful. These are descriptions of him as you read through these verses. What it says is he was one who fears God. He was an example of a good but lost man. He was good and he was trying to, to, to learn more about God and he was giving alms and he was praying, but he still was lost. He still not, had still not trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. His actions were in the right place, but his heart was not yet cleansed. You know, sincerity is important. But we need to remember as we look at the world around us that sincerity and good works do not save. But grace through faith does. And so for these like God-fearers like Cornelius, many of them respecting Jewish customs and beliefs, uh, often associating with the Jewish people, often going to synagogue and even to the outer court of the temple, many of them were, remained unwilling to become proselytes. They still needed to come, not only to God, 
to the Jewish God, but first and foremost, they needed to come to Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 9 and 10, we, we learn a little bit of something about the seeker. And these are some general principles that God is giving, that Jesus Christ is giving his disciples. But I think they, I think they apply to the seeker, the one who's seeking for the truth. In Luke 11, verse number 9, Jesus says, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And I think you could glean from this chapter an idea that when people are seeking for the truth, God finds a way to bring it to them. And there have been stories throughout history beyond the Bible of people who were seeking for the truth, who were maybe praying for a church or praying for some news about Jesus Christ, where God orchestrated someone else's path and their path in his providence to bring them to the gospel. And I'm thankful that we have a God who is involved in his mission. But here at this point, our focus is on the seeker for the truth. If you want to go with me later on in the same chapter, Acts chapter 10, uh, we'll read in verse number 30. And we see a little bit of this is repetitive, but we're hearing it from Cornelius' perspective. In verse number 30, the Bible said, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Ask, and you shall receive. Thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. And he's given instructions, ultimately, to give him access to the gospel. So he's told to send for Simon Peter. And in verse 33, immediately thereafter, Cornelius is talking to Peter here after Peter's arrived. Immediately thereafter, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, am I, Cornelius, standing alone to hear your message. Is that what it says? <laughs> no, it's not. As we look at this verse, in verse 33, it says, Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? It starts out with one man, Cornelius, and by the time the messenger comes with the gospel, you have an entire group of people ready to hear the truth of God's word. There are seekers who want the truth. Even among groups in different parts of our world that we may classify as the enemy, there are people seeking the truth. You know, I haven't told you a whole lot about our mission field. I'll tell you more about it tomorrow, but we're going to the Middle East. And if, as we travel around the country, sometimes we are confronted with the fact that many look at everyone in the Middle East as simply the enemy. And there are reasons for that, and we could talk about that. But ultimately, God loves each and every one of us all across this world. And there are people here in the States who are searching for the truth. And there are people in the darkest parts of this world, in the most hostile areas to the gospel, who are seeking for the truth about God and a relationship with him. Here we are, we're looking at Roman soldiers. And let me be clear that each and every one of us as sinners are responsible for Jesus Christ's death on the cross. But when you look at the history of the events, and you have the Jewish people who, who cried, crucify him, crucify him, and 
again, we could blame them, but ultimately we are all responsible, right? Remember that. So let's not just blame them, but let's look at, let's look at the Roman soldiers. They were the ones who were physically responsible for crucifying our Lord and Savior. And again, we could push the blame on them, but really the blame comes back to us. But these were the enemies of Christianity many times in the early centuries. As a group, they were responsible for much persecution, not just in the death of Jesus Christ, but in the coming centuries, many who would give their lives for their faith. And yet, even in these groups that were tasked with squashing this group called Christianity, or the followers of the way, there were people searching for the truth. So let's not forget that. That even among groups classified as the enemy, there are people desiring to know the Creator and Redeemer. And so to this point, Cornelius has been devoted to God, but he only has a small part of God's revelation to, of himself, and he hasn't heard about Christ's finished work. And so we see this first character, this first character in the story of someone who is seeking for the truth. And all across the globe, there are people seeking for the truth. And God has a task for each and every one of us in getting the truth to those people. Some of you, I know, work in a medical setting, and I don't know how many of you, but I know some of you do. You're probably familiar with the term triage, right? So you go into a medical office, and there's, especially in an emergency room, and there's a triage room, and they decide, okay, how serious is your issue? Which direction are you going to go? If it's really crowded, guess what? You're triaged, and the person who has all the blood is the one who's going to get treated before the person with the broken arm, right? You know, they triage things. Well, you can look at all sorts of aspects of life and realize there's triage going on. Um, go back 70 years, about 70 years, a little further than that. Go back to the time of World War II. And if you, uh, uh, back, actually at the beginning of the pandemic, um, when food was getting a little bit scarce and stuff, my, we got to spend some time with my grandparents when we, uh, we had to come off the road for a while. And my grandparents are getting up in age, but they showed me some of their ration books from World War II. And they'd go to the supermarket, and this is how much they were allowed to get for the month. And you'd tear off the stamps and give them in. And it's just a different time. It's not something that we have faced um, personally. Um, but they were showing me this and some of the, the little difficulties that they had to go through during World War II. Minor difficulties, but not being able to buy tires for your truck. And so you're not being able to drive, that kind of thing. Minor difficulties. When I read a book about uh, Warsaw, Poland, and, and this story could have been told in many different cities, not just in Europe, but across Asia as well, of difficulties faced during World War II. But here in Warsaw, Poland, um, there was, people were starving. People were hungry. And people in that city, they, they had food, but it was really just enough to get them by, and they were always hungry. But then within that city, there was the Jewish ghetto, as, as it was called the walled-off area where the Jewish people were held prisoner before they were shipped off to, to concentration camps and even death camps. And in that situation, they weren't just hungry, but people every single day were starving to death because they didn't have food. You know, as I think about that, there was a need in all of those areas. There was a need here in the U.S. for more rubber for tires and more sugar for your food and things like that where there were some minor, there were some minor needs. You get to Warsaw, there were people who needed, their, who needed more food to be able to be healthy. But then you get into that Warsaw ghetto, and the story could be told in many other places, even today, 
And they were people who were literally starving to death and looking for that husk of bread to keep them alive another day. You know, as I think about the gospel, and I think about us here in the U.S., let me be clear, there's a need. There's a need. There's a need for us to be a light in our community and to share Christ. But as we look at the world around us, let's not get so focused on the need here that we forget that there are people who have not ever heard of Jesus Christ. And then there are people who who don't even have anything about Jesus Christ in their language, including the verse John 3.16 that was mentioned earlier, earlier this afternoon. And so as we look at the world, let's not forget about our own community, but let's for sure not forget about the people who without us will never hear the truth. Because there are people seeking for the truth. Will we share it with them? It's so easy to get so focused on the needs among our group that we forget about the vast needs in other groups. And so I encourage you, open your hearts. Look up for a moment and look on the fields. In John chapter 4, verse 35, in the, in the area of Samaria, Jesus tells his disciples, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. But are we involved in that harvest? Are we involved in getting the gospel out and planting seeds, but also in, also in harvesting people and bringing them to Jesus Christ? And so in Acts chapter number 10, we've seen Cornelius, and we see the first character in this passage is the seeker, the lost who are looking for the truth. But the second character in this passage, let me be clear, is the most important character, and that is God, God himself. People are seeking the truth, and God orchestrates his mission. We look back at Acts chapter 10, we already read these verses, but in verse number 3, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him. And so especially early on in the, in the early parts of the church, through miracles and through events like this, God was making sure that the mission got out, that the, that the gospel got out. He was very much involved. But 2,000 years later, God is still involved in getting the gospel message out there. In verses 9 through 20, I'm not going to read them for sake of time, but I'd encourage you to later on. You have Peter there in this house in Joppa. And uh, he, he falls into basically a trance. And, and in this trance, he has uh, this, this sheet is let down from heaven. And it has all manner of animals inside of it, including unclean animals. That as a Jewish person following the Mosaic law, he was not supposed to eat. I can imagine a, a, some pork in this sheet, some bacon, you know, things that he wasn't allowed to eat. And so he rejects it three different times. And then God makes it clear to him, the whole reason for this, what I have called, let me see if I can find the actual verse number 15. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And in verse number uh, 17, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, and why am I being exposed and told to eat these unclean animals? What's with this? In verse 17, while Peter doubted in himself, uh, second part of the verse, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore and get thee down and go with them doubting nothing, for I have sent them. 
Later on in this chapter, Peter makes clear to Cornelius that he would not ordinarily be in this Gentile man's house. (laughs) But God got involved. Because God has a mission and God wanted the gospel brought to the Gentiles. Not just to the Jewish people, not just to the the Jewish people at Pentecost who were from many nations, but were still just the Jewish people. God wanted the Jews to hear, but he also wanted every nation to hear. And so he encourages Peter, go beyond just those you think of as ritually clean and go to the unclean and share the truth. And so he says to go to Cornelius. You know, many times, as we see in this chapter, the spirit of God works. And he gets involved. He orchestrates our interactions with other people. And so let me encourage you throughout your week, trust in the sovereign God. And realize that the interactions you have are there for a reason. And it may be for you to plant the seed. It may be for you to water the seed that's been planted. It may be for God to see the increase through your life. But let's be used of God as he orchestrates his mission. God is the ruler of the universe. And each of us, his subjects, has their part in advancing his kingdom. He's in control. But are we allowing him to work through us? In situations that that we know are beyond us, we need to recognize there is one beyond us who is not surprised or thwarted. He has a plan. As we think about our mission, and sometimes it almost seems impossible, It's a long process of translating scripture, and it's a difficult people group to get to, let alone to share Christ with. But God's already seeing a mighty work done there, and we're excited to be a part of it. But it's an encouragement that in those situations that are beyond us, God's still in control. But let's not forget that even in those situations throughout our daily lives where we think we have it under control, let's not lose reliance on the one who knows the end from the beginning. There are many passages in Scripture and stories in Scripture where we see God's sovereign hand at work. Let's trust in him. And so we look at Acts chapter 10. We see Cornelius and the vision and Peter and the vision. Ultimately, God working to bring Peter to Cornelius to share the gospel. And so the first character is the seeker, Cornelius, or any number of people around us, including maybe even this, this afternoon. Someone in here is searching for the truth. The second character is the sovereign God. But the third character in the gospel crossing new frontiers is the disciple. People are seeking the truth. God orchestrates his mission. And disciples are used to reach new frontiers. God had instructed the disciples to go to the ends of the earth to reach and preach the gospel to every creature. But so far, the early Christians had only focused on the Jews. Various nationalities, yes, but they'd focused on their crowd. In Acts chapter 11, verse number 19, the Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word. Amen. <coughs> Is that where the verse ends? So it's preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. They were doing a good thing, but they had not crossed that frontier. And so they were doing a good thing, but it wasn't the whole commission. You know, you may be doing good things in being a witness in your community, and I hope you are. But let's make sure we're reaching across frontiers to the ends of the world as well. Disciples are used in two ways. As personal witnesses of the truth and as bearers of the word. 
And so let's be a witness to what God has done in our lives. And let's be a witness to what the word says about Jesus Christ. Both are tools, the disciple and the word, in the master's hand to reach the lost with Jesus. So you go down into this text, you could read verses 19 to 24. We won't read it for sake of time. Um, But you see this interaction with Peter and Cornelius, the men who had come and trying to get Peter to come with them, and he does. And In verse number 34, Peter arrives there, uh, I believe this is at, at, um, at his house, Cornelius' house. And in verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth. <laughs> you know, that phrase should probably appear <laughs> at the headings of a lot of stories in the New Testament, right? You know, Peter is known for opening his mouth, for talking maybe too much. But Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Aren't you thankful for that? God loves the whole world. In verse number 35, Peter says, But in every nation, that's every people group, even the ones we don't know about, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Uh, Don't forget to read the context here. In verse 36, the Bible says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace. Where does peace come from? By Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And then Peter preaches the gospel, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, Emmanuel. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew, and we could say today whom we slew, but whom they slew and hanged on a tree, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. And here's Peter. He says, Not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter is one of these witnesses to the resurrected Savior. And now he's testifying about it. And he says, He commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness, goes back to scripture, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission, meaning forgiveness, remission of sins. And so he gives witness to the truth. So we saw Cornelius, we saw the seeker of the truth. We saw God who's orchestrating his mission. And then we see the other, the other part of the puzzle, That's you, and that's me. That's the disciple bringing the gospel witness to someone who has not heard. God uses his disciples to spread the seed of the word. Not all will grow to bear forth fruit. You know, Jesus talks about the parable of the soils, the sower. You know, there are different types of ground that the seed falls on. But it's still our responsibility to spread the seed of the word. But God does see the kingdom grow through these two witnesses. The witness and the word. Let's share it with the world around us. In verse number 28, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, the Bible says, He said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This is Peter's barrier to going forth. And I don't know what the barriers are in your life. Maybe they're time or finances or or just uncertainty and and you're being shy about talking about the gospel but whatever those barriers are allow God to work through you to cross those barriers with the gospel because God wants to use you 
And you can look down further on in verse 44, and you see that harvest being reaped. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So remember, the gospel had been primarily held with the Jews, and now the Jews see the Gentiles underneath the power of the Holy Ghost. They've been accepted by the Spirit. They're getting saved, and they can't believe it, and here they are. They heard him speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. You see this, this power of the gospel going forth. People turning to Christ. And really, you see a church being started as people turn to the Savior. You know, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe you are that seeker who hasn't come to Christ yet, but you're looking for the truth and you're trying to decide. You know, today's a great day, a great day to come to Christ, to trust in him. Maybe you've already accepted him and maybe you accepted him just last week. Maybe it was 20 years ago. But wherever you are in the journey, are you willing to continue to follow the Savior, to bring the gospel to new frontiers as others search for the truth? to be that disciple being used of God to share Christ with another. Let's be willing and allow God to use us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it and to study it. But Lord, we also thank you for the opportunity and even responsibility to share the message of the gospel. I pray that you would give us opportunities. You gave Peter an amazing opportunity here in Acts 10. And there are opportunities you give us throughout each week. Lord, I pray that you would Um, Help us to have the boldness to go forth sharing your word. We sure do love you. In Jesus' name.